Welcome to another episode of Dr. Doctor, the award-winning radio show and podcast featuring your physician hosts, Dr. Tom McGovern and Dr. Andrew Mullally, where we and our guests discuss relevant and health-related topics from an authentically Catholic perspective. Dr. Doctor is brought to you in part by the generous underwriting of CMF Curel. Learn more at mycatholichealthcare.org. Live your Catholic faith in your healthcare with CMF Curel. Today, our guests will be heard across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Joining us will be Dr. Brooke Pengel, a pediatric sports medicine specialist, to talk to about us about what else? Sports, injuries in kids, their prevention, recognition, treatment, and what parents can do to help their kids. Now, Andrew, this episode topic was your idea. Why is this so important for our listeners? Well, I, I'm always selfish uh, in, in picking the episodes, and I just think of what I would like to know. And yeah. uh, I always think also about the questions I get routinely. So I work in family medicine, and we get to see all ages, but a huge group, a huge percentage, especially in the spring, summer, and fall really the most, uh, are sports injuries uh, of the, ah. the pediatric patients, because especially over the summer, you've got conditioning, sometimes two-a-days. In the fall, you've got all those big fall sports that we love to watch and the kids love to play. But so often we see these injuries and the questions always come up, you know, how dangerous is this? How could I have prevented this? What should I do different? Return to play? Um, Especially now there's so much talk about concussions. I mean, even in the professional sports, we're constantly talking about it. When I was a little kid playing soccer, we would always practice heading the ball and yeah. we have like a significant Ouch. number of drills trying to do that and trying to score and direct it and this and that. And now my, my kids are playing soccer and they're not allowed to head the ball. It's a, it's a penalty oh. if they do that, they get called really? and whistled. Yeah. So there's this huge movement, not only with concussions, but in general to make sports safe. And so we need to talk to a specialist so that I can learn what I'm talking about, and hopefully our listeners can too. Well, what I wanted to ask you next, I think you partially answered, is how did you view sports growing up in your family, and how does that translate into how you do it with your kids? Yeah, I'd say it's it's probably similar. You know, I, I would say sports was a very important part of my childhood, not because I was awesome, but I really loved them. It was so much fun. It was fun getting to play with your friends fun learning how to be on a team and work together. And I'd look forward to the game the next week. And so it was, it was a big part of my, my childhood, but plenty of injuries as well. You know, and I'm thinking even among my siblings, like, I'm not sure any of the kids in my family, I'm one of nine. I'm not sure any of them were immune to sports injuries. It was something you just kind of expected. And uh, for my kids, I'd say similar. My kids are still pretty young, but they really enjoy sports. Soccer's our big one. And uh, when you're from a big family, the the main rule is that everybody's going to play the same sport <laughs> just because oh, it's, yes. It, it's yes. impossible to be here, there, and yon, you know, and uh, there's so many different things. But my kids all play soccer and they really enjoy it. Uh, we're not playing in the ultra competitive leagues, but they have fun. They get to learn how to be on a team. And really, that's some of the biggest things I value about pediatric sports. How about you, Tom? Sure. Well, you know, my own experience was uh, in 10th grade in football, I dislocated my shoulder and thus ended my career as a a baseball pitcher, Uh, my career in football, because I started to think, oh, I could get hurt out here. And so I didn't want any of my kids to play anything that rough. It just wasn't worth it to me. And and so later in life, you know, I I do a lot of running uh, and some biking and, and I enjoy that much more. You know, playing Frisbee was always fun. Uh, so yeah, my, my experience influenced what I didn't want my kids to do. And yeah, for a while, our kids were all doing Taekwondo because you had to pay for two and the rest were, you know, free. So that's a good thing when you have seven kids. Change that policy after you guys. (laughs) Oh yeah. No, but yeah. Cause I mean, it ruined my shoulder for life. I mean, there are many things I, I cannot do because of it. So is it really worth it? And to me, I just gave into so much peer pressure. Yeah, if you're if you want to be accepted in school, you're going to play football if you're a guy. Yeah. Well, I'm. Uh, you're mentioning shoulder injuries, and I remember one time as part of the off season training, we were doing weightlifting, and for for people who have not been a high school boy before, there's a big pressure <laughs> on like trying to like show off and overdo it. 
And uh-huh. I, I had an AC fracture or an AC uh, separation that shoulder, yep. to this day, it still acts up, you know? Right. And uh, that's probably why I never made it to the NBA. That could be one of the main reasons. <laughs> but uh, you do, we don't stop and think about it when we're 10 years old, that injuries that we sustain and risk we're taking now do carry with us, you know, through our whole lives. And so yes, what should yes. we advise people and what should we advise our kids to do? Right. And I think Brooke's going to help us with that. She she loves helping parents. Uh, from reading about her and interacting on emails, she sounds like she's going to be high energy, which I think is going to be fun. Uh, we pulled some information from the Yale Medical website on kids' sports injuries. And this amazed me that 62% of organized sports-related injuries occur in practice, not in games. Does that surprise yeah. you? You know, at first I said, wow, that's a lot. But then when you think about it, in practice, everybody's got the ball. In games, it's only one person at a time. Uh, and well, so I, I was thinking, thing. I said, well, that might be it. You just get a lot more contact during practice. And, and then, you know, it seems like, you know, I have patients who have kids and they're going to travel sports in, in other states. And it's like half the weekends of their year are taking up traveling with their kids for one sport. And, and yet on this Yale website, they talk about uh, specialization early is not necessarily good. And this was a neat uh, statistic among female Division One college athletes, they found only one in six had previously completed exclusively in the sport they played in college. They most of them played multiple sports. Oh, interesting. See, that's kind of good news, I think, for listeners because yes, I don't know. At, at least the, the, what I see is I see kind of my my peers and neighbors, people doing these these high intensity, multiple day a week, you know, sporting programs and you think, gee whiz, maybe I played uh, soccer in high school, but I wonder if if my kids will be able to if they're not doing all this stuff. You know what I mean? Yes. So it sounds like it's better to be good at many things. Well, we're going to switch over to our guest here to talk about the more than 2.6 million children under the age of 19 who show up in emergency rooms with a sports-related injury each year. But first, the medical trivia question of the day. The topic is muscle groups. So the question, kids run a lot. And when running, many different muscle groups are used. What is the common name of the muscle group that straightens the leg at the knee and is powerfully strengthened by running? And as a bonus, name any of the muscles in this group. We'll have the answer for you toward the end of the show, but we'll be up next with our guest here on Dr. Doctor. We're back with our special guest today, Dr. Brooke Pengel from Denver, Colorado, Sports Injuries and Kids. Brooke trained in pediatrics at the University of Colorado. She then did an extra year as a chief resident at University of Connecticut, and then back to Colorado for a pediatric sports medicine fellowship. She loves treating acute injuries as well as overuse injuries in kids. But she's taking it to another level. She's on the executive committee of the American Academy of Pediatrics Council on Sports Medicine and fitness, working with specialists across the country to try to make sports safer and more enjoyable for kids and their parents. She's also a team physician. She loves helping athletes learn how to manage injury and how how to train in ways to prevent those darn injuries. She's married, she says, to her best friend who always challenges to become the best version of herself. And nothing makes her happier than watching her three kids playing sports for the pure love of it. Brooke, welcome to Dr. Doctor. Uh, thank you so much, Tom. <laughs> Thanks for the kind words. And actually, to be clear, I rotated off of that committee recently, but it was actually one of the f- most favorite things I've done in my career is to be on that committee. I'm still pretty connected to the American Academy of Pediatrics, but, and that will weave into what we're talking about today because there's a lot of really great um, kind of information coming out of that. Committee. Superb. So to start, what's the difference and similarity between sports, exercise, and fitness? Yeah, maybe we'll start with exercise because I think it's sort of the basic form. It's, you know, very structured and planned physical bodily movement. And there's an objective there to maintain um, fitness. Sport would be a more like a subset of exercise that it's it can be done individually or as part of a team. Um, It can be part of competition. So it's more regulated. It has more rules uh, around surrounding it. Um, And then if you talk about fitness in the context of exercise and sports, we would be talking about physical fitness, not that 
playing a sport doesn't take me mental fitness because it does too, but that would be sort of the state of physical health and well-being that would allow you to perform at a high level um, in the in sports. When we talk about fitness, that could be activities of daily living too. But for the sports context, it's those are the the most trained athletes. Basically, right. would be the most physically fit athletes. Very good. And Brooke, you use the word athlete. Does everybody who exercises are they an athlete, or is athlete something specific towards organized sports? I actually have a fair, fairly broad word, you know, choice for athlete, just because I think I even said I think in my bio I consider a five-year-old on the monkey bars <laughs> an athlete, and I feel genuine about that. That I. You know, you kids can be very physically fit. And if even if they're not at a highly competitive level, I want them to believe they are an athlete and believe they are a champion and whatever they choose to do. If we really look at athletes who are at the highest level of their sport and who are competing at the highest level of their sport. Yes, I think most people would think of that as you know, the most skilled among us are the athletes. I like to broaden that definition to younger children and maybe even not the typical sports teams. You can, there's a lot of atypical sports and activities. And so I personally like to broaden it and I consider a lot of little children, even athletes, but I recognize that it may for some people be reserved for that higher level athlete. So, so Brooke, one of your topics I think you like to touch on is related to this question. When I was a kid, we played pickup games all the time, almost every day. And now it seems like sports are not only organized, they're hyper-organized. Parents are controlling all these things for them. What effect is this having on kids, their health and their enjoyment of sports? Yes, it is a trend, isn't it? We're all seeing it, that it went from, you know, yes, when I grew up, I could play anything that I wanted to and I could play high school sports. And now it's so organized and it's it's become even pre-professionalized that every moment of every child's day is scheduled and they're playing on two or three time teams at once. They're going from this practice to that practice. It ends up being a little bit of the norm of some of these families. And I do think it is disrupting family life. I think it is having, you know, if we look at it in the negative, I, I really enjoy that there is more sports participation mm -hmm. But on the flip side, if it's getting to the point where it's interfering with, a, you know, a child's ability to get their homework done or spend quality time with their family, that's where it's the hyper organized. And so I think it can result in a lack of enjoyment if a child is exhausted, being driven all around town and carpool and that type of thing. And so I think that there are some children who are very into it and they, they can't get enough of their sport and that's okay. Those, there's going to be those children. But unfortunately, I think there are kids that maybe aren't that child, but they're still swept into this hyper-organized schedule, which is probably affecting in the long run, again, their ability to have free play and have downtime and you know check in with their family and so i think we don't have to think of it all as negative i mean i suppose the hyper organized that's inherently a negative word right like oh it's too much but, <laughs> you know we always are trying to get that balance and so i i like the sports participation part of it yes i do because we don't want kids on the couch and we don't want kids to spend <laughs> too much screen time we always say right. but there's right. probably something in the middle like most things in life well, Brooke, you know, one of the big things I want to cover in this show is to make sure our listeners are prepared to see and be aware of some of the most common types of injuries. For for me, some of the first things I think of are sprains and strains. Can you talk a little bit about those? What's the main difference and how do they happen? Yeah, so I think that is a good way to start because uh, there's lots of sports injuries out there, some that are just being managed kind of at home. And that would be the, sort of the basic sort of the like bumps and bruises and the sprains and strains. And they, the, to define them, a sprain is an injury to a ligament. A ligament is a soft tissue structure that connects bone to bone. So when you have a sprain, it is an injury to that ligament. Ligaments only have a certain capacity to stretch but under very you know, high stress, they're going to partially tear or tear, which scares parents when they hear the word tear, but that's what a ligament sprain or a sprain is. Um, in contrast to a strain, 
which is an injury to a tendon structure. Tendons connect the muscle tissue to the bone. That also can be injured in, uh, in a way that it tears or partially tears or almost even avulses, pulls it off the bone. So there are different types of tendon injuries. In kids, these injuries can be thankfully, I mean, they can be severe. You can have a severe ankle sprain even in a kid. The tendon injuries tend to not be as bad in kids because tendons in kids are not degenerative quite yet, right? They're young and healthy. <laughs> um, so these in soft tissue injuries can be very painful, but there tend to be in kids tissues that can bounce back, thankfully, a, a little more quickly. So, but and we see a lot of that, and some of it doesn't even come into my office, of course. It would come into you know primary care a lot, and so they just want to know, you know, is it broken or is it sprained or is it strained or that type of thing. How would someone diagnose this? Do they have to see a doctor if they think they've got a sprain? Good question. So I am a big fan of there is home care that can be done to let the dust settle. It's not always a situation where you have to swoop your child off the sports field and run them <laughs> into the primary or the ER. But, you know, it can be very painful. All of these injuries, a fracture can be painful, a sprain can be painful. So when the dust settles and you have, you know, the child is calm, if there's no, I always say, if there's no bone sticking out and there's no, you know, compromise to the <laughs> blood flow at the extremity, um, then you can kind of wait a moment, you know, calm the child and try to assess where the pain is, what the swelling pattern is. So they don't all need to come in if when you start home care, you're starting to get containment of the pain. So you're going to do the typical, the rest it, put some ice on it, compress it, um, elevate it. So and see what happens if it's a lower extremity injury, a red flag would be this rapid swelling, very focal bone pain and true inability to bear weight on that extremity. In an upper extremity, you're not bearing weight, but if there's focal pain and the pain is really just not manageable, that's what I usually focus on. Like wh when are you gonna bring them in versus maybe if it's a, in at the night, do you really need to go to the emergency department or can they call their you know regular doctor the next day? Well, how, can you how well can you manage the pain? If you're on glued and you're on a need to know basis because you just don't know, it's never wrong to seek urgent care, but a lot of this stuff, the dust will settle if you use your good old fashioned kind of home care principles <clears throat> and let it calm down a little bit. Okay, so here's an anecdote. My oldest daughter, Taekwondo, she does a jump kick, lands on her foot, and it just hurts a little. And it's, you know, along the fifth metatarsal, the long bone in the foot behind the little toe. And she asked me, Dad, is it broken? Do I need an x ray? And I, being a good dermatologist who you know, thinks he knows more than he does, uh, says, you know, the point tenderness isn't that bad. You're not getting bleeding or swelling. Nah, it's probably just a, a bruise or a, a sprain of some kind. So she walks on it for a week, doesn't get better. Finally, her doctor takes her an x-ray. Sure enough, she has a fracture. So how do, you, how do you know it in that case? And plus, she has a high tolerance for pain. Yes. I mean, she yes. was probably uh, like 14 at the time. So this story is all too common. I actually think I saw that story yesterday, a similar story. I'm not, I'm not kidding. <laughs> Doctor's right? kid? A, yes, a little bit of a delay. Like maybe it's a different sport, but the same scenario where they thought it yeah. was a sprain, treated for a sprain. So that's a really common scenario. And I usually say, you know, no harm, no foul. It declares itself one way or the other. Home care is always okay. What you're looking for is that persistence of pain. So there are certain fractures where... You know, and the, every kid is it's so variable, their pain threshold, right? And their pain yes. tolerance. And so the tougher kids might, yes, get away with that for a little while, but eventually they declare it. And most of the time, if, you know, within a week, I consider that good, Tom, to be honest. Um, you know, oh. it's one of those where it- you I'm going to play this for that daughter. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, and so- I really did not scar you for life. Yeah, exactly. It comes down to sort of, if you are assuming it's a sprain, it needs to act like a sprain and it needs to be progressively getting better with the techniques that you're coming at it with, where you're resting and icing, compressing. And if it's persistently uncomfortable, then you're going to go in, yeah, within a week, maybe even two weeks. You're not going to go four months on this, right? I mean, Got it. You could, at some point you have to kind of pull the trigger and say, we probably should get this looked at. It really isn't bouncing back to normal within a period of time. So I think home care is okay, but with the emphasis that sometimes kids can trick us and they don't follow all the rules in the textbooks, like it's, it's a fracture, you shouldn't be able to move it. It's a fracture, you shouldn't, 
you know, be able to step on it or where they, their weight, but sometimes they do. So you have to kind of have a healthy sense of knowing your kid <laughs> and knowing what might happen. You know, Brooke, one of the things that I, I wanted to ask about regarding these different injuries as well is return to play. How, how does that work with sprains and strains? Because I know in your bio, you said half the battle is kind of convincing the athlete to take the time to rest to avoid re-injury. Right. You know, acute injuries are very painful and pain limiting. And, and despite that, kids want to kind of power through them anyway and keep going. And so sometimes that sort of is my battle. But, you know, uh, the, one of my other mantras is I am a sports doctor. I'm here for you, not against you. Like, I want you to play, too. But I also want to make sure that it it makes sense with the physiology of injury that in order for the body to repair the damage, for lack of a better word, your body needs time and the tissues need time to send the healing cells to do some reparative work. And if you are asking your tissues to do a lot of workload before that process has sort of started and, you know, had a chance to recover itself, then you, you end up weakening that tissue over time if you really just don't give it, you know. So, that, Brooke, what are that, some rules of thumb that parents can apply to their kids rehabbing to know if it's time or not to go back? I mean, every injury is very different, but the rules of thumb would be that most of the pain, I hesitate to say all of the pain has to go away because right. the pain can persist a little bit, but they need to be in a situation where they're not wincing when they're playing and that type of thing. So, you know, most of the pain or has gone away that they have return of their normal range of motion and okay. they have really the function is what trumps all I say. I mean, and it sounds so silly, but if you're, you know, sprain your ankle and you want to go play basketball again, either you can do it or you can't do it. If it's hurting, that's one thing. But if you're limping and landing all funny, I mean, that's the functional part of it. And so on a sports field or a court, if there's an athletic trainer there, they might do what's called a functional test where they might run their athlete or jump their athlete. So what they're looking for, you know, in the heat of the moment when the game is going is that what's the function of this athlete? Is this athlete functional enough to go back in or not? So does their motion look normal? Because if they're altering their motion, they probably still have enough injury that they shouldn't be doing it. Right. Is that yeah. reasonable? Range of motion of the joint is protective of injury. If you're, you're running on a joint or doing, you know, gymnast, you know, pounding on a joint that an elbow that doesn't have normal range of motion, bad things can happen. And and Brooke, how does this work with like over-the-counter medicine? Like so often for a sprain or a strain, you know, I'd be tempted to recommend like ibuprofen or something. Um, is is that a good idea if kids are trying to get back into play or or should they not go back if they're still requiring medicine? It's a good question. I mean, soft tissue injury it, like I said, was pain, is painful. And so those medicines are probably neither good or as bad as people think they are, is what I say. I mean, they're, they're helpful in the acute stage because it's so painful. So if you can take a medication that can take the edge off of it at, in the acute stage, you know, more power, power to you because it's there in the grand scheme of things, especially with children that are going to not need it very long. <laughs> um, I think using it in the acute setting what I like to say in terms of return to sport, if we're talking about using ibuprofen in that context, is that I certainly don't love for it to be a habit that they're taking ibuprofen before a practice so they can get the job done. But on the mm -hmm. other hand, you know, it's not that good that even if they took that, <laughs> it probably wouldn't mask the pain enough. So I usually say, you need to be thinking about do you need more time? If you're sort of popping these ibuprofen because it's the only way you can go back, maybe you just need to be honest with yourself. But if they're taking it, because a lot there's a lot of myths out there. Oh, if I take this for a period of time, it's going to increase my healing time and by 10%. And we do not have that data, to be honest. I mean, there is not any study Good that we point. can reference that says you take this and you'll get back to sport three days earlier. So it's really, I mainly use it for pain control at the beginning. And if they're doing something that's overshooting what their tissue is ready for, and then they're reaching for it, it will probably work itself out, but it's just a marker of their body 
telling them, giving them a pain signal. And one of my mantras is pain is your friend. It keeps you out of trouble. So you might as well listen to it. So okay, I Brooke, think it's before we finish the first half of the interview here, let's cover another topic you like overuse injuries, which sure. can happen for people who go back too soon with sprains and strains, right? It can, because it can sort of morph into this picture that the tissue was weakened by the injury. And tissue can also, in essence, be injured in sort of overuse pattern, which is basically a mismatch between the workload of that tissue and the rest and recovery time. So it can happen. Obviously, most overuse injuries are not following an acute injury, but certainly they okay. can. They can. I say they sort of like meld into each other because if the tissue has a lower threshold of what it can handle and then you bomb it with all sorts of exercise, it really gets, gets you into trouble pretty quickly with overuse. Is it true or is it a myth that warming up and stretching prevents these injuries? Is that really true for little kids? Well, little kids, I think there's not as much data on like the little kids. Like, do we really need like the six-year-old soccer team warming up extensively? I mean, you know, it's a 20-minute 20 20 practice. Half of it's a stretch. <laughs> exactly. Half of it's a what stretch. did I pay for? Yeah, there's snacks at the end, stretch and snack. Yeah, so I, I think that for the older kids that are doing very complex movements and they're trying to get ready and they're, you know, high level, there is data to show that something called the dynamic warm, warm up is really the most beneficial for prevention of injury. And what I mean by a dynamic warm up, I mean, it's kind of old school. Like you get in a circle, this is static work warm up, like static stretching, get in a circle. We all stretch our legs. We chat, we kind of go through the motions and then we pop up and then we go to our soccer practice or whatever. That's actually pretty old school. The newer technique is a dynamic warm up where you're actually even neurologically getting that red, that athlete ready, but you're moving and stretching the athlete at the same time where, you know, you can see different soccer players where they do the dynamic warm up together and they're like moving their hips and stretching their hamstrings and that type of thing so that they're getting their body ready for that. Well, Brooke, I think this is a perfect time to take our break here. We'll be back with a lot more fascinating information that can be helpful to parents about sports injuries and kids here on Dr. Doctor. We are back now with Dr. Doctor, and today talking to Dr. Brooke about pediatric sports injuries. And we've talked about a lot of things, and one of the things I know you're passionate about, Brooke, is the effect of early specialization, kids kind of committing to one sport above all others at a young age. What effect does that have on children, especially as it relates to injuries? Yeah, I like how you define um, that because it's sometimes I think there's some confusion about what specialization is. It's it's typically that year round training and year round would be mm. sort of eight to nine months a year, a single sport, excluding other sports to focus on the one sport. And this is distinguished from early entry into sports. So if you have, you know, say a soccer player who starts playing at the age of five, that doesn't mean they're specialized necessarily. It just means they're starting kind of at a young age. But if that same player chooses to quit everything else and, and train and at a high level, you know, eight or nine months a year, then we're getting into that specialization. And I think that in the world of sports medicine, and I'm on that, you know, I was on that committee for the American Academy of Pediatrics, mm -hmm. and we came out with a position statement on early specialization. And oh. I think there was just like everything else, it's like we went like this far on the pendulum and said, okay, specialization, I don't know, there's a lot of downsides to it. But there are uh, uh, some kids that would thrive in that pathway. And it's sort of a pro-con discussion. Like the pros of specializing is that it can lead to success, right? Like, you know, especially certain sports like gymnastics and where they're getting in there early and they're really achieving and they can succeed and they might get better coaches and they might have these psychological rewards because they're good and they're getting attention. But the con might be that not all you know, kids are made out for this. Like you need a lot of resilience and you need a lot of intensity. And overall, what we were seeing with the specialized kids is that in general was hindering some of their overall athletic skills. And, you know, if you look at even like NFL players, most of them played multiple sports in high school. And, and this multi-sport athlete is sort of the opposite of the specialized athlete. And when so there, the specialized athlete is leading to like burnout and maybe kids were quitting because the stat is that about 70 percent 
of kids quit sports by the age of 13. It's a horrible statistic. And wow. there's lots of reasons that are going into that. But one of the theories is that they're burning out, right? They're going quickly into this. It's escalating the hyper-organized. And then they get to the point where like, this isn't even fun anymore. <laughs> mm. And then they quit. So it doesn't mean that all sports specializers are bad and that they shouldn't do it. We, we need to be careful that we're not maligning that pathway. But it, on the other hand, I want it to be more inclusive that not everyone needs to be on that pathway, that we need a recreational pathway that's also good and inclusive yes. of other children. Yes. Is specialization safer for injuries or more dangerous? No, the opposite. So because the you know, eight to 10 months a year, it's the same repetitive motion at the mm -hmm. exclusion of other sports is what we said. So they're getting more overuse injuries. So in fact, it's there, it's panned out in the literature crazily enough that there's even this sort of guidance that the number of years you are in age should not be exceeding the number of hours per week that you exercise. So a third in that sport, in that in sport or an exercise Sport. of all in types sport. in your okay. repetitive sports. So for example, you know, the, there's certain sports that it's like over that very quickly, like the gymnast, you know, I'm a 13 year old gymnast. I participate 20 hours per week. It's like, there we go. And they're in my office all the okay. time. I hate to say it, but they are. And so that's not, you know, and crazily enough, that's been reproduced that. So it's again, these rules of thumb for parents that you have to keep in mind the development of your child and maybe there is a 13 year old that can tolerate 20 hours per week but not every child can and that's going to increase your risk of overuse if you're exceeding that threshold so the specialized athletes it's a known quantity that they are at increased risk for overuse injury so recognizing that checking in with them recognizing that if you treat injury early and you peel back some of the training load and the training stress that injury maybe can be managed. And so I have a lot of, I call them the frequent flyers. All of us sports doctors do that. These people that are coming back to me, I have another injury, I have another injury. So it's not that they're bad for doing this pathway, but sometimes if they're coming back, we've got to figure out well, what's the training kind of workload and rest recovery ratio. Do we need to you know, flip that again? So Brooke, just like you were talking about how uh, you know specializing can cause problems, well, let's think about the the whole child. How does sports and fitness intersect with a child's mental, emotional, and spiritual life? Yeah, I love the question because I just am such a strong believer in youth sports as sort of a development zone, and that. This is character building, right? The best coaches that we can all remember growing up are the ones that, yeah, I mean, they they definitely taught us how to play, but they actually cared a little bit more about our character and our experience and our spirit and developing that part of ourselves and really the whole child, not just the athletic part of that child sure. is what's important right here on this sports field, how we treat each other, how we build each other up. I mean, this is the perfect avenue that we could, you know, bring in, you know, the faith perspective and my kids um, grew up going to Catholic school. And so they played Catholic school ball and they, you know, had, there was, you know, before every, um, Anytime you can play sports in Catholic school, you have to do this play like a champion course where us parents <laughs> are inundated with this is how you're a good sports parent. This is how you're a good coach. I mean, it's really <laughs> about character development and and being using the sports as an avenue to teach resiliency, to teach that we can be have, you know, the sportsmanship that that we that can be demonstrated out. And sometimes I watch these stories and it brings me to tears how kind that people can be, the opposite can be true, right? But how right. you can teach kindness in the setting of a sports uh, event. Yeah. So I love it. I think it's, I'm all about it. Brooke, I think one of the big things that all our listeners want to hear about are concussions. Now, I know we've heard a lot about this the last couple of years. What, as a parent, do I have to be worried about or look for if I, if I want to make sure my kid didn't have a concussion from this injury, they just sustained to their head. Right. So in a concussion can occur either from a blow to the head or a blow to the body. Um, and yeah. it is a traumatic brain injury, 
but unlike what you would think of with a bleed in the brain, it's, you know, it's more a functional disturbance because there's sort of the shaking up of the brain basically. And so you can't find it on a CAT scan and that type of thing. And so it can be a confusing injury to understand and why it can be a confusing injury even to recognize is that it's sometimes they are really subtle. Sometimes they're really obvious in your face, the classic dazed athlete stun, you know, running in the wrong direction on the sports field, like the really obvious ones, but sometimes it, it doesn't present that way. So it has this wide range of signs and symptoms. And so the main thing is knowing your child, of course, and a coach knowing the athlete, if they are acting atypical, because they, they're not going to come up and say, hey, coach, I think I have a concussion. Like that doesn't happen very often. And so you have to kind of look out for the, the signs that they may. And then a parent is just going to be looking the classic, you know, headache and, you know, feeling nauseated and fatigued. It doesn't always present that way. And it can present acutely or it can present afterwards. So you have to have an index of suspicion. If there's a mechanism of injury that was witnessed, even if they seem fine, we, we really err on the side of holding them out and, and seeing if any symptoms evolve over time. There are a lot of symptom inventories out there that has the different range and array of symptoms because it's not always the classic headache. So it's not hard to find. There's It's readily available on the internet. So how do you know? Well, you know by knowing your child and knowing your child isn't right. And it could be for a lot of different reasons and checking in with those symptoms. And if there's a question and you don't know, then seeking medical care um, is the best option. And that's, this is, I mean, it's mandated now that you have to bring your child to a doctor before they can return. There's no other in the history of illnesses, <laughs> kind of the same mandate um, exists. So I think it can be, again, a confusing injury to understand, but as long as you're checking in with your child and having a low threshold to be do the right thing and be safe, no matter what the costs, that can be hard because it's so competitive out there. <laughs> but you know, uh, knowing that your child is more important than whatever event they're in and just making sure that you're checking in with them. And if you're unsure, then getting medical care. So another injury that scares parents are fractures. What do you want parents to know about broken bones in their kids? So fractures are actually really common in childhood. And, you know, I have lots and lots of stories of, uh, you know, even my own children having fractures. And so do you, Tom. I mean, it's it, and sometimes <laughs> I like to say it's part of childhood. But I, what I w want to tell people is that not all fractures are created equal. And it's not always like a panic button situation. As a general statement, and I treat sometimes like 10 fractures a day, sometimes more in the summer, to be honest. And a lot of these I would consider sort of in the minor fracture category mm -hmm. that yes, the bone is broken, but children's bones heal amazingly well and they heal very quickly. And that's most of the fractures that we're gonna see are gonna be in that more favorable category. There are exceptions. And so people like me that treat fractures all the time are very comfortable with recognizing, hmm, this is one that needs a little bit more attention. It could have a bad outcome and we still have ways of treating it. Um, but those fractures are really probably need a little bit of specialty care. Lot, the most common fracture that I treat is a wrist fracture because kids are always falling um, and playing out there playing. Their kids have kids bones, so they break in unique ways. And so we can identify that typically on x-ray. There are growth plates that are susceptible to injury. Even a growth plate injury not all of them can go badly on you. Some of them can heal very well, but again, you hmm. probably want a little more attention on that. So recognizing a fracture, you know, and again, even if you recognize it a few days later, recognizing that it needs to have care and then going forward with it, there's a lot of really even um, newer ways of sometimes even treating fractures. Like we have in the summer, everyone wants to go in the swimming pool. So depending on if I really think it's a minor fracture, I might give them like a removable cast or a specialized type of splint. There's a lot of things that we can do to make fracture care a little easier on the families. And as a sports doctor, I try to do probably the least amount of time that I know is adequate for enough bone healing, but get them out of that, you know, rigid cast and get them moving with a brace or a boot or something like that. If, if a parent's at home, uh, kind of, 
trying to check out their child's injury, is there anything that would be reassuring that this is probably not a fracture, we'll just give it time? Yeah, there would. If there isn't a ton of swelling and bruising from the acute trauma, then that's actually, it doesn't mean that there couldn't be a fracture because some of those minor fractures don't swell a ton, but that is very reassuring. And range of motion, if the range of motion is really good, again, there's some exceptions to this rule, but we, you know, if you're trying to assess, you're going to look for swelling, you're going to look for range of motion, and then it's that focal pain. When a child breaks something, they should be able to point with the tip of their finger where that bone is broken. If they're doing this swiping all along, it hurts. That's not, I mean, it still could be, but because sometimes it's hard, but they really, it should be very clear where that bone is injured. And so if you're sort of, you know, pushing along and trying to find that spot, if they're jumping off the chair because you hit a spot that's so tender, that's a little concerning that it needs to be checked out. Um, and so, yeah, those are the things that, you know, reassure, but, but the opposite is true. If there's not a focal area, you know, they're going to jump outside and go on the swing set again. Like those are the function of the joint and the function of the area. If it's bouncing back, that's very reassuring. And how, I, know, I guess another, just one follow-up question on that. A, a lot of times parents come in uh, to see me and they want to get an x-ray. I'm looking at this. I'm like, mm, chances of this being broken are quite low, uh, but they want an x-ray. Do you get an x-ray every time? Is that what I should do? How do you decide? You know, it's a really good question because in, and I, I think I would say that from a medical perspective, I think that your ability to maybe hold them off in primary care, I think is honestly very reasonable. If you are saying, my impression is that this, we could watch this for a few days and change track. I mean, we, you have a plan B, right? If it doesn't get better. In, in my world, first of all, x-ray is ridiculously easy for me to do it. It's literally 20 feet from where I'm sitting right now. So it's in my mm -hmm. office. We have very modern technology for x-ray. It is less radiation typically than flying a plane, depending on what x-ray we're doing, how many we're doing. It is awesome technology. It's easy for me to do. It provides a lot of reassurance. And as a specialist, I'm probably going to do it more, right? Because that's why they're here. They want to know. Mm -hmm. So for me, I do a lot of x-rays because I feel like I'm in a good setting to do it. It's easy for me to do. The parents tend to want it. If I have a parent request not to do it, I oblige. I say, I'm going to give you my clinical impression. And if it doesn't get better, we can do the x-ray later. So obviously I want my parent, my parents to be, you know, bought into the fact of getting it. But I think in primary care, you're allowed to have an opinion. Going back to the sprains and strains, we are allowed to have an opinion. I think this is far more likely to be a sprain than a fracture. That's my impression. Sometimes it doesn't follow the rules. If it doesn't get better with A, B, and C, we will do the x-ray. Perfectly reasonable in most situations. So, so Brooke, with there being so many sports injuries, are sports still worth it for kids? Absolutely. Um, I think that, you know, risk is a part of life, anything we do, right? Yes, there, is an, there are inherent risks in, in sports, some sports more than others. But if I always, it's a pro-con discussion, right? Even with football. I mean, I'm somewhat obsessed with football. I love watching football. It's pretty violent sport, right? We'll all agree, <laughs> yes. right? Hockey. We're watching yes. the Stanley Cup right now. Yeah. But oh, how yeah, much do we love watching hockey, right? And so people are accepting that is the risk that they're going to take. And everyone has that ability to accept their own risk. But if you look at the intangibles for sport, if you can't just focus on the risks, because there is a risk of not being physically active and not, you know, maybe not competitive sports all the time. But if we just flip it to my fiber on the monkey bars, I want them <laughs> to be active and to and to thrive and to build physical literacy skills that will carry them their life because obesity trends and inactivity trends, there's a risk there too. So I think between the intangibles of what we talk about, building the character of the child and having them have learning resiliency and how to push themselves and the life lessons through sports and the fact that they're learning physical literacy that can bring them into adulthood as a healthy person, if you weigh that against the risk of the sport, I think the, the, the pros win and the cons, I would accept the risks at that point. So I do think it is worth it. I, I was going to just say, I know we are kind of winding down on time here, Brooke. What kind of advice do you have for parents? Just kind of general pearls that we could pass on. Yeah, I think that, you know, as 
you know, I, I trained in pediatrics. I played sports growing up. I have three kids of my own. I treat lots of athletes. I feel like I have a perspective where I've seen, I've seen sports parents at their best and at their worst. And I always like to remind parents that our child's journey in sports is their journey. And we're there to help them navigate it, but we're also there to help them find their way. I think allowing them to explore different sports, but being willing to have them say, no, I don't like this one, mom, but I maybe want to try this one. So exploratory phase is very important. And being the absolute best sports parent you can be, there are a lot of ways you can even learn how to be a good sports parent. You can surround yourself with there are all sorts of resources out there. I mentioned the Play Like a Champion. I'm on a leadership council for Positive Coaching Alliance, which has a lot of resources for coaches, parents, and athletes, where you can learn how to what's called fill your athlete's emotional tank, where you are providing the positive. And the role of a parent is to encourage, not to micromanage and coach, leave that to the coaches. We are there to help build the character of our children through sports, the outcome will take care of itself. So if you focus on being that the best sports parent you can be, whatever the outcome is for your athlete will be okay because you have- What's our resource for that, Brooke? What can we refer listeners to? So uh, Positive Coaching Alliance has a very deep website with something called the Development Zone with all sorts of blog posts and things like that. They have- um, a lot of partnerships with schools around and, but their website is pretty rich with some resources there. And if they really want to go farther, they can contact them and get them into their organization to do workshops that are very, very helpful. I mean, I think that we can be our best out there. You know, we all have the stories of the parents that were like over yelling and yelling at the refs, but that's not what our kids want. Our kids want just to, they want us to watch them. They want us, you know, the most powerful words, I um, I can't credit this to myself, but there was, I've, I saw this in a couple different places and I started doing it. There was even like a TED talk that we could refer to that the most powerful words you can tell your child coming off the sports field. Are you ready for this? I love to watch you. That's, That's it. a beautiful way to end this episode. Brooke, thank you so much for being with us on Dr. Doctor. Yeah. Thank you so much. And we are back here on Dr. Doctor with the answer to the medical trivia question. Tom. Yes, kids, running. When you run, you straighten your knee a lot. What is the name of that muscle group that straightens the knee? It is usually one of the largest, not the largest, but one of the largest muscle groups in the body. Andrew, how often do you have to treat or examine this muscle group? Oh, I'd say routinely. Routinely. Although in looking at the question, I don't think I had to remember the names of each of the muscles for about the last 10 years. So, right. So, so the muscle nice... group are the quads or quadriceps. So you've heard of the quads, you know, the biceps and triceps are on the arm. Well, the quadriceps are the front of the thigh. And there's, and there's four, four muscles there. There's That's four right. of them. Right. They, uh, uh, well, that was the, the, the bonus question. Can you name one of them? So there's the vastus medialis, the vastus lateralis, uh, the rector femoris, and uh, a vastus intermedius in between the lateralis and the medialis. So if you named any one of those, that's bonus. But if you just got the quads, you got it right. And now, Andrew. I was going to say, if you, if you speak Latin, these are really boring names, right? How should we right. name that one? It's all location, right? And then vastus just means big. I mean, remember Stoic, the vast in How to Train Your Dragon? You know, that was Hiccup's father. Vast just means big. So a big muscle on the inside of the thigh, a big yeah, muscle on the outside. Yeah, what should we call that one? Uh, that's a big one on the outside. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Not, they sound fancy in Latin, though, but gee whiz. The quads. You're giving away trade secrets. All right. Now, tell us your top three takeaways for this episode, Andrew. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of lot of pearls. This high energy interview. Uh, I really like how she ended it. Actually, where yes. the the most important thing, you know, especially the parents out there, you think your kids, they want your approval, and she said the most important thing for them to hear is, "I really enjoyed watching you play," 
And uh, I, I would second that. I think that's a great message to, to kids. You know, win, lose, or draw, excellent athlete, bad athlete, good performance either way. I just really enjoyed watching you play. I think that's Amen. a great message, a uh, positive message for kids. Uh, number number two. two, she also said, was this journey, this sports journey, is uh, your athlete, your child's journey, not your own. I know a lot of, uh, I don't want to say beauty queen parents or soccer parents or whatever, and uh, it's it's almost more the parent than the kid. Gymnastic parents, I've met them, you know, keep it about the kid. And And I guess number three, the thing I would say would be to speak to that specialization, you know. For, for kids who want to specialize in a sport, it, it's not all bad, but we know they do get more injuries. And the natural thing, I'd argue, the natural thing is to try a lot of different sports, especially at the young ages, and put off that specialization because Tom brought up some great statistics. Even specializing early doesn't mean they're going to make the pros anymore. Most of the people in college didn't specialize. Uh, Amen. college athletes. So That's a great top three, Andrew. And we thank you all for listening to yet another episode of Dr. Doctor. You can find this and all our old episodes on our website, drdoctor.org. Just click on episode archive at the top where you can search by name and topic over 260 episodes. Yes. And now we offer a video version of our podcast for those people who are interested. Just click on the YouTube link near the top of our homepage at drdoctor.org. If you have a question or have an idea for an episode topic, click where it says submit a question. We're open to new ideas. We love them. This is Dr. Tom McGovern. And I'm Dr. Andrew Mullally, and I'm signing off with Tom here for your next dose of Dr. Doctor. The views expressed on Dr. Doctor do not necessarily represent those of your co-host. Have a question for our doctors or a topic you'd like to hear about? Call or text your questions to the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598 or fill out the form at drdoctor.org. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Dr. Doctor Show and tune in for new episodes every Friday. Plus find all our past episodes at drdoctor.org. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit spokestreet.com.